Hello. Thank you for tuning in to The MedVets. My brother and I created this platform to spread the power of optimism and education with simple conversation. Our only goal is to inspire healthier communities by connecting people and stories. Thanks for listening. The Force is with you, young Skywalker. But you are not a Jedi yet. Hey, hey, we're talking with Dr. Peter Dermott today. He is a spine surgeon here in the, the Dallas area, and our interest in speaking with him was talking about engaging patients and also using social media. And as y'all know, I know nothing about social media. <laughs> so this week's topic is from surgery to social, basically capturing how the COVID has impacted physicians, doctors all over, not just in the surgery aspect, but going from dealing with patients in the operation room or in the hospital clinical setting and then engaging with them on social media. Hi there, I'm Peter Derman, minimally invasive and endoscopic spine surgeon. I work at the Texas Back Institute in the Dallas, Texas area, and I focus on taking care of people with all kinds of neck and back problems. Excellent, excellent. Hey, Keith, can you hear us all right? Okay. Yes, good morning. Hi. Keith, I don't think we've officially spoken in the past. I'm Peter Derman. Thanks for having me oh, on. Well, thank you for being a part of it. Mark and I are both, you know, passionate about, about healthcare and we're trying to do something different. And Mark had shared with me what you're doing on social media. Like, let's try to get them on and try to see what direction we can do with, uh, with healthcare. Yeah, it's certainly something that I think a lot about. So I think it, it'll be a good topic. So, Dr. Damon, how are you feeling this morning? How is, how's everything going? How are you feeling? I'm feeling yeah. good. I've been up for a couple hours now. That's what happens when you have a two-year-old and a four-month-old. Oh, wow. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But it's, uh, it's surgeon's hours anyway. This is like midday for me. We frequently have like 6 a.m. meetings, and people are like, what the heck, a 6 a.m. meeting? But it's the only time where it's like herding cats. It's the only time that we can all protect our time. How about yourself? It's a Wednesday, so it's a really good day. It's not raining. Hopefully, it doesn't get too hot today, but it's a really good day for me so far. Are you guys in the studio, or are you calling in from home? Well, I know we were going to do it at the studio, but no, we had to switch it up a little bit. We're calling yeah. from our respective homes right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. So how many of these uh, podcasts have you done? I, I briefly looked through, like, I forget if I saw it on Stitcher or whatever else, but how, how many have you done so far? Yeah, so we started in December, and I think this is our 15th one. Oh, good for you. Thank you. Thank you. And I know you're heavily involved in social media now. I mean, maybe Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So, I mean, has it all started maybe during, when, when did you decide that social media is like a really good way, way to kind of communicate? To, to your patients? Really over the last couple of years, I've been increasing my social media presence, partially just as a way to get the word out about my practice. Certainly the coronavirus pandemic has kind of increased my focus on doing that for a number of reasons. First of all, I've got time on my hands, so I can do all these things that I've been meaning to and wanting to do. So, so that's one of the reasons. The, the other reason is more people have time on their hands. So they're spending more time on social media. And the way that we're interfacing with patients now is more and more telemedicine based. 
So it makes sense to have kind of a more all-encompassing online presence. And I think those elements feed into each other. Was telemedicine, like interacting on telemedicine, was that kind of new to you at first? Was it kind of something you had to get used to? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you would have told me six months ago that I was going to be doing the vast majority of my visits remotely, and even signing people up for spine surgery who have never sat in the same room with before, I would have said, that's insane. There's no way that that can work. But, you know, we, we all got a crash course. So I think it was <laughs> March, March 16th, my practice went from completely in person, never did a telemedicine visit in my life to completely telemedicine. And there were definitely some, there was a bit of a learning curve and there were some hiccups along the way, but I've been pretty pleased overall. And so have my patients in kind of the quality of the encounters, the quality of the care that we're able to provide, as well as the convenience that they have. So things have improved in some respects such that we're now seeing patients, a combination of telemedicine and in-person. But I'll tell you, out of my own personal choice, for the safety of my patients, for the safety of my family, I really am still minimizing my in-person appointments. So I see the probably 90% of people are more via telemedicine. There's certain things that I do need to see people in person for. So if they're a patient yeah. who doesn't have the technology, then clearly we can't have a video conference. Or there's a person who I'm worried they have certain spinal conditions that required me to either do their reflexes or something like that, then, then I'll have them in for an in-person visit. But I've been pleasantly surprised. The vast majority of things I can diagnose and effectively treat via telemedicine. And, and I'm strangely, quote unquote, meeting people for the first time on the day of surgery in the preoperative holding area. We know each other, but it's a strange thing to say like, good to see you in person for the first time. But if you're thoughtful about how you do things and, and if you're careful, you can have really good outcomes. And, and I haven't had any issues where I meet the person in person and think, oh my goodness, we're, we're not doing the right thing. You had mentioned that it's probably hard to connect with some, some patients. I mean, I would think that basically all patients have a cell phone, so they should have some kind of video or visual capabilities. I, I see patients the whole spectrum of ages from 18 to, 100, right? And so some of the patients on the older end of the spectrum are less likely to have either laptops with a webcam or a smartphone. But that being said, you know, I've, I've done web calls with patients in their 80s and in their 90s who, who do just great with it. So the vast majority of the people do have the technology to do it. I practice at the Texas Back Institute. We're a, a big private slash academic spine practice with 18 spine surgeons and then three non-operative doctors. I spearheaded along with one of our fellows a study where we pulled, we sent surveys to all of our patients who had telemedicine over a two-month period from mm -hmm. basically mid-March and two months after that to see what the satisfaction rate was and, and what people liked and didn't like about it. And, and what we found, we got hundreds of responses, which is part of the benefit of being a, in a big practice. What we found was that the vast majority of people were satisfied with their telemedicine visit. And interestingly, almost half the people said that given the choice, they would actually prefer a telemedicine visit over an in-person visit. There's a multitude of reasons. A lot of people are Absolutely. busy, it's hard to take off of work, or they, they're in pain, they have physical physical disabilities that makes it difficult to them to travel. And the other thing is, you know, we're a, we're a 
well-known practice and a lot of people travel to see us even yeah. fly to see us from from across the country and, and out of the country and so this makes it like a million times easier for them we're basically making house calls and and for those patients it really helps and you know i'd, I'd much rather be waiting for my doctor's visit at home or at work where i can be doing work or or whatever else than sitting in an exam room somewhere reading better homes and gardens from 1996 or whatever magazine <laughs> they happen to have in there so certainly it's been a, a big change in how we practice we'll see what happens in the future the reason none of us did telemedicine before to any significant extent is there were a lot of restrictions on it mm-hmm. so the the insurers the payers would basically not allow it unless you were like in a rural area and the patient couldn't do it from home, they had to be in a medical clinic. And so it really defeated the purpose of telemedicine, the ease of telemedicine and and limited telemedicine. Now, because of coronavirus, it's been kind of broadened. They've also taken away the rules against um, practicing. So our medical licenses as doctors are state by state, which is kind of silly because medicine is the same across state lines, right? It's not mm-hmm. like a doctor in Dallas, Texas is doing something different than a doctor in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But, but the way that the medical licensing system works is you can only practice in the states you're licensed in. They temporarily have taken that away, expanded telemedicine during this pandemic. So we'll see what happens in the future, basically. Hopefully these changes will stay and we'll continue to be able to offer these services because I think they are beneficial for our patients. And you know, given the option, I, I think that say 10 years from now, I can see myself in a practice, which is really 50% telemedicine and 50% in person, really to cater to whatever is the best for the, each individual patient. Yeah, I can definitely see a hybrid model for, for medicine, whether it's in office and also having the telemedicine component to it as well. How are patients in the same care for the follow-up visits, so after surgery, are the patients you know, able to be um, evaluated after surgery via telemedicine? I'd say those are really the easiest ones because those post-operative visits are often just like check-ins. So really all, for the majority of them, all I need to do is see how they walk, see how they're moving around, make sure they're doing all right, and look at their incision, which I just have them kind of turn around and show me their incision. and. And so those visits are, are actually of the easiest visits to do via telemedicine because I'm not really assessing them or trying to diagnose something. I'm just making sure that they're doing well. And fortunately, the vast majority of them are. If there's, if there's any question or any concern, I can always then bring them in. Those visits are often the easiest to do. And those are usually quick visits. So 10, 15 minute check-in, all the more reason not to have to drag yourself all the way into the doctor's office uh, for that. One thing that we're running into, and one of the challenges is imaging. So mm. you know, as, a, as a spine surgeon, I, I take x-rays frequently to monitor things and, and to evaluate things and then MRIs as well. And, and what we're having to develop is some workarounds. Usually we would get those x-rays in the office or if they had a previous MRI, we'd have them bring their disc into the office so I could see it there. But, but we're getting savvy about it. There are some major imaging centers that have online portals. So what we do is we just send our patients to the, one of those centers and then I can remotely log in and view their imaging. And through the telemedicine portal, I can even share my screen with them and, and walk them through their imaging and, and explain mm-hmm. what's going on. So it's been good so far. Through coronavirus, I think telemedicine is going to be here for, I'd say, quite some time. I'm not sure about you know the regulations, but I, I would say that a lot of patients, even though 
though would still be looking for telemedicine. And I know that because of COVID and the, you know, stay at home orders, a lot of doctors had to find that time to, like you said before, to get involved on social media, right? Either go live right. or show your face, show video. So, and, and I, I know you mentioned you had a two-year-old and a four, a two-month-old, sorry, and a four-year-old. So how did you get into creating the content? Like what, where did you get the inspiration from it? And how, how do you feel like it's been, uh, it's been, it's being received? Ideas for content. I, I guess the first thing you've got to think about, or I think about, and, and a little background, I, I have a bit of a, I have a business bent and a business background. I went to business school at Wharton concurrent with my uh, medical training. So I've always yeah, okay. kind of been interested in the business side of medicine and, and efficiencies and building practices and building businesses. This has kind of been percolating in my mind, marketing and branding. Mm -hmm. And so I think you, the, the first step is to really think about who I am as a doctor and who I am as a surgeon not trying to brand myself as, as kind of a broad generalist, but really thinking about what are the things that define me. And for me personally, my practice is very minimally invasive oriented. And a lot of, a lot of people, if you go online say, oh, minimally invasive, minimally invasive, and it's become a bit of a, a buzzword with, without a lot of meaning to it. But I have kind of specialized training in, in, in truly minimally invasive and even endoscopic surgery, which is now what is being deemed ultra minimally invasive. And so that is really my passion. And the other part of being minimally invasive so, is hey, philosophy. Doc, real quick, Dr. Yeah. Herman, for, for our, all our listeners, what, what is minimally invasive? Can you explain that buzzword for them? Yeah, sure. So basically it means nothing now because everyone uses the term. What it means mm -hmm. to me is twofold. So the first part of it, and possibly the most important part of it, is a philosophy. And that is trying to avoid surgery if at all possible. And so I always exhaust all conservative non-surgical care, physical therapy, medications like anti-inflammatories. If that doesn't work, thinking about injections if I think that will be beneficial. And, and only if all else fails, thinking about surgery. I can do minimally invasive surgery, but I, I firmly believe that the least invasive surgery is no surgery at all. And so that's really my goal for all of my patients. Mm -hmm. The other thing is if somebody is going to need surgery, it's really being thoughtful about what is the smallest thing I can do to alleviate this person's problem. And so, you know, sometimes you, I'll have a patient who's got, you know, problems all up and down their back and, and, pinching of this nerve and pinching of that nerve and curvature. But if I really listen to the patient, I find out that, that they have pain in this one specific part of their leg and that's really what's bothering them. And I can trace that up and figure out exactly in their spine where that's coming from, alleviate the pressure through a little outpatient clean out procedure and they can be home the same day within hours versus if you just took a shotgun approach they'd have rods and screws all up and down their back. And, and mm. so really being thoughtful about what you do and trying to do the least possible thing to address a patient's problems. And then, and then you get into the, the actual techniques themselves. And, mm. you know, I think what a lot of people think about when they think minimally invasive is a small incision. And yes, I do. Yeah, that's pride what I was yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I pride myself on making the smallest incisions around, but, but actually, yeah. That's just probably because I think it's, it's, it's a challenge and it's fun, but 
the most important thing is what happens under the skin. And the true key to minimally invasive surgery is preservation of the muscles and the soft tissues around the spine. Because the traditional way of doing spine surgery, like say a low back surgery, is an incision down the center of the low back and then stripping or literally burning the muscles off the back of the spine in order to see the spine. And, and just getting to the spine, that, that damage to the muscles is a large part of what causes people prolonged recovery, increased pain, the need for narcotic pain medications, and then kind of a lifelong struggle with pain after surgery. I mean, we've all met people. I have people every day that come to me and they say, you know, I've been holding out because my, my mom, brother, sister, doctor told me never, ever, ever have spine surgery because you'll never be better. And I don't, I honestly don't blame them because with traditional spine surgery, that's often the case. The key to the, the techniques that I use is no matter where I am, neck, low back, front, back, side, I never cut muscle. And that's what allows people, everyone gets up and walks the same day of surgery. Most of my patients are home within a couple hours of surgery, up moving around with, with limited need for pain medications, et cetera. And, and that's because I'm really conscientious about the soft tissues. So yes, I make small incisions, but I, I never cut the muscle. And there's a variety of ways to do it. What I'm most excited about right now is endoscopic spine surgery which is like a total departure from the traditional way of doing things it's just it's it's the equivalent of like now if you if you tear your meniscus in your knee nobody like does a giant incision and opens your knee up to look at your Mm -hmm. meniscus they put a scope in it and they put us through a little incision they put a camera in they can clean stuff up well you can scope a spine also and so what i'm doing now is through an incision less than the width of your finger, I'm able to introduce a camera, which allows me to go in, clean out disc herniations or stenosis, pressure on nerves, without doing really any damage at all to the surrounding tissues. When I remove the camera, you get one stitch under the skin, and literally I've had, I've had patients who had surgery in the morning and are home in time for brunch. So it's pretty cool, you get spine surgery, you can go to brunch afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would never think of that. And and now I, and that that's pretty interesting because I would have just thought minimally invasive, like you know, just a small cut as a port as in reference to a bigger one. Let's say when some of you, when you're doing some of your procedures, I see a lot. Well, not not a lot, but I guess say more so. I see some doctors taking pictures or posting videos of the actual procedures yeah. on their social platforms. And and how what do, what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? So it comes back to thinking about what's your audience? And I guess to tie things together. So like, that's who I am, right? That's Mm -hmm. my brand. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm very conservative in what I do. And if I need to do surgery, I try to avoid fusion and I, and I do the most minimal thing possible. And so that once you have your brand, you got to think about who's your audience and each of the social media platforms has kind of a different audience. Which Which one would you say do you use the most? What do you use the most? What do you get like? I, I would say that I rely probably heaviest on Facebook. Okay. Facebook is, is very well trafficked among everyone and especially potential patients. So kind of the, the rundown, the way that I think about things is Facebook is, is kind of the, the go-to for a lot of patients. LinkedIn is very popular among kind of other doctors, potential referral sources, and then industry folks. So, you know, if I had to guess, 
I bet that you found me on LinkedIn. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and, so and, and, and Instagram actually too. Oh, did you really? Okay, great. Yeah. That's really good too. The Instagram is popular among mostly patients, but the thing about Instagram is it's very, uh, it's obviously image heavy. And so not mm -hmm. all posts are appropriate for all social media platforms. Um, and then the last one that I, I think a lot about is YouTube. So interestingly, I, I recently found this out. YouTube is the number two search engine on the internet behind wow. Google, right? So like if you want to have kind of a broad capture of potential viewers, YouTube is a great one. The problem with YouTube, well, I guess the benefit and the problem, YouTube is obviously video. Video mm -hmm. is very engaging. People love to see video, but video is also time consuming to create that content, right? I can't, I can't mm -hmm. snap a picture, write a, a quick blurb and, and put it out there. I've got to shoot the video, edit the video, et cetera. So, you know, I do try to do as much video as I can because people really do kind of engage with that. And YouTube obviously is, is a very powerful way to get, get out there. But that is kind of my limitation as a practicing surgeon and a dad and a husband uh, to, to find time to make a ton of video content. That's always on my to-do wish list. I guess I focus the most on, on, on Facebook because a lot of people are on it. It can do video, it can be, do picture posts, it can do text posts. And then I disseminate the content to the other platforms that are, that are applicable, right? So like if it's a picture post without a link, I'll put it on Instagram. But Instagram's not great for links unless you, you've got like a million followers and can have a direct link, which I'm not there yet. You know, and then if it's a video, I'll put it on YouTube and, and kind of if it's business minded or if it appeals to potential referral sources or, or other doctors mm -hmm. or industry folks, I'll put it That's on That's more YouTube. so for LinkedIn. Yeah, I guess this is a very roundabout way of answering your question, but you know, what do I think about posting videos and pictures of procedures? In my opinion, and correct me if I'm, if you disagree with me, but in my opinion, patients, what they're concerned about and what they're interested in is what is going to be my experience? What is my experience before surgery, immediately after the surgery, as I'm recovering, and then, you know, long-term, how am I going to feel? Absolutely. Less, less important is what's going to happen for that hour during the surgery when I'm not even going to remember it anyway, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I find is that I like to focus more on the transformation before and after surgery than the, the details of what I do during the surgery. Even though I think that's really cool, a lot of patients are turned off by, by surgical videos and things. And even though, you know, these endoscopic techniques, like, you know, it's not like blood and gore, it's a tiny little incision in a camera and you've literally lost more blood cutting yourself accidentally in the kitchen than, than during one of these surgeries. But, but people still, you know, they're squeamish about that. They, they, they didn't go, they're not doctors for a reason. They don't want to see that mm -hmm. stuff. And so personally, I shy away from any pictures from the operating room, even pictures of x-rays afterwards. You know, I, I try to avoid fusion or anything like that but even for disc replacements there there is like a prosthetic in there and people don't really like to see that for the most part there are exceptions some people seek that stuff out and there's plenty of that content on youtube etc but but for me kind of focusing my social media presence i try to avoid that stuff 
from that perspective, you know, I'd rather see a doctor that can do surgery and have me at home eating breakfast rather than <laughs> spending an hour long session of me in the OR and then right. I can't go home after. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and you know, you just people, you know, I've even had patients say to me, you know, I was I was watching, you know, videos about the procedure online and then the next one that came up on YouTube was the procedure itself and now I'm like really scared and nervous. They, you, you just you just yeah. don't want to see that part of things. What you what matters to you is how I'm going to feel and how I'm going to do. And and that's what I try to highlight. The exception to that, maybe, although I do still shy away with it from it, is LinkedIn because LinkedIn is much more kind of quote business to business, if you will. You know, talking to other doctors, and and that's where I think that that maybe it makes more sense to create a dialogue about what you're doing in the operating room, and and we can all kind of work together to to push ourselves to do mm-hmm. kind of newer and better things. Um, but but LinkedIn is still open to the public too, so I still shy away from those perfect personally. That's not to say that it's wrong. A lot of people do it, but it just hasn't been my experience. Not really my goal in my social media platforms. And and speaking about YouTube, one of the things that um, fascinates me is the Pipple Popper MD. Are you familiar with oh, her? Oh God, yes. I mean, I, I try <laughs> never to watch it. It's <laughs> just to think about, but there's a lot of, she has a lot of, uh, of followers who, who like to watch it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting how I'm, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with her until maybe like a year ago. Yeah. That's my understanding is she really utilized YouTube to build her brand and they got her a reality TV show. And not to say that's not, you know, that's probably one of her, her objective, but it was kind of interesting that people know about her. And it's creating a bigger brand for her and probably getting her, you know, more patience. So, Wait, so what does she do? Does she just pop pimples? Is that all? <laughs> I've, I've never seen she, it. The YouTube, I, I haven't watched it a lot. I mean, to be honest, I think my wife tried to show it to me once and I was like, oh my God, get that away from me. <laughs> she just like pops pimples. And I think there's some subset of humanity who gets some sort of satisfaction from <laughs> seeing that. It's like shock value, you know? So, you know, it's worked for her. There's probably a difference between, I mean, there's definitely a difference between popping pimples and doing spine surgery, especially with regard to kind of the anxiety that patients have around the spine surgery. So I doubt that many people are are terribly anxious going in to see her and getting their pimples popped, but but people are (laughs) understandably scared before spine surgery. And I don't think that that harping on the details of the procedure itself is really that beneficial to them. So Marcus is the uh, millennial and I'm <laughs> the, the Gen X. So I'm still learning a little bit about social media, but you know, do you think there'd be influencers in healthcare utilizing social media? Cause I think about the, the Kim Kardashians, these bloggers and different things, but there's really nothing for healthcare that is really promoting good education or anything else. Do you think influencers should be involved in healthcare? So I would say that there are some people that might be considered social media healthcare influencers. You know, you have folks like, say, Dr. Oz, who, who have not just purely social media, right? He is a nationwide persona outside of social media, but does have a social media presence. And then, you know, you might be able to consider like Dr. Pimple Popper a social media influencer. So I think that within healthcare, there certainly are people who have a, a big following. 
whether non-healthcare influencers should get involved in healthcare-type topics, you know, I don't know. Personally, I'd rather hear from kind of the expert, a, a doctor yeah. or, or somebody myself. But but if if they're partnering with someone who's an expert in the topic, I think that would be beneficial. A lot of social media presence seems to depend on specialty. So for instance, I know that social media and particularly Instagram is very important for plastic surgeons because what they do is very visual, right? And so they can post a before and after picture on Instagram. Doesn't really require a lot of text. Doesn't really require much, if any, explanation. And, and that really tells the story very well. Whereas, you know, for say a spine surgeon like myself, you know, I can post a picture of somebody playing basketball three weeks after surgery, but it requires a little bit more explanation, which is why, you know, Instagram in and of itself is probably less applicable to me. But there are plastic surgeons who have tens of thousands of followers based on their Instagram accounts. And so they might be considered, quote unquote, influencers as well. And then peripherally speaking, there's a lot of health and fitness influencers. And, and for me, I was a gymnast for many years, uh, 17 years, all the way through college. Fitness and, and those type of things is very important. So being involved in, in CrossFit or yoga or whatever else, there's a lot of content online that I think feeds into healthcare and, and wellness in general. Have any of your newer patients like said that they found you or discovered you like initially found you through any of your so, like social media, whether it be Facebook or Instagram? Yeah, great, great question. So I think that the majority of patients, well, I know that the majority of patients don't find me purely online, at least not mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. and, and some of some people have said to me, you know, why are you wasting your time with the social media stuff? Like, you know, no one's going online to find a doctor. <laughs> which, which I think is not necessarily the truth, especially with this endoscopic stuff that I'm doing because it's, it is unique. There's only a handful of us in the country doing this. And so I think that that is something that people are, are seeking out and is not available locally. Mm -hmm. but, but that aside, even though most people aren't de novo finding me on social media, almost everyone who comes into my office has checked out my social media presence before they see me. So whether, mm -hmm. they, whether they get to me from their primary care doctor or a friend or a family member who has met me before and, and suggests that they come see me, they do their research, they do their homework. And so, yeah. you know, I'm sure that they've gotten the names of a lot of doctors to potentially go see and, and they check out the social media presence. They see who I am and what I stand for and, and they've selected me as a doctor. And so I think that one, it, it probably reinforces people's desire to come see me. Um, and two, it, it gives them a little bit more information about me before they come. I, I, one of the videos, the first video that I posted online was kind of an introduction to me and who I am. And I start off the video doing a backflip. And I can't tell you, a day doesn't go by when somebody doesn't ask me if I can do a backflip in the office for them. So uh, <laughs> clearly people are checking stuff out. It shows that human side. Cause I know if I get to go see a doctor, I'm gonna do the same thing. I'm gonna do my research, see if they had social media and see what they do. So it shows that human side. And I'd rather choose a doctor who's involved, who's actually, I can see what he's doing and he's talking. At least he has a social media account, right? 
But I do think in the long term, that is going to be the way patients search for everything will we'll be like social media. Like you just said it, YouTube is the number two search platform other than right. Google. So I, I just see the, the other ones progressing, progressing. I mean, I personally, I guess, you know, Keith likes to make fun of me being a millennial, but I use mm -hmm. Instagram as a uh, search for, for anything, for businesses, for people. I feel like Instagram has so much, like it's using hashtags, locations, there's so much amount yep. of data in there. It's just, I, I can use it the, the exact same way I use Google, you know? Right. So, and, and to your point, Instagram, the average Instagram user is younger than the other social media platforms. And so mm -hmm. that's another thing to think about, depending on the kind of patient that you're liking, you know, that you like to treat and the, the mm -hmm. problems that you take care of, optimizing which, which social media platforms to engage that patient base. The other thing is, you know, I think that this feeds into the conversation that we had in telemed about telemedicine. As telemedicine has been become more pervasive, we're less limited by the geography of where patients live. Previously, our quote unquote referral network was very regional. Medicine was regional, you know? People who I have treated in the area, they tell other people and doctors in the area tell other people. But while there is some travel because uh, we do some unique things, it's, it's still pretty regional, but Telemedicine is breaking down those boundaries. So, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I've seen people from the West Coast, I've seen people from the East Coast, all from the comfort of their homes. And, and social media is a way to get into those people's networks and, and to access those people when they don't necessarily have a brother, sister, and uncle who has seen me in person before. And so I think that they, they go hand in hand and will become increasingly important in the future. And I make fun of, of Marcus about him and social media because I don't know how to do it. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm not the greatest at, at using social media <laughs> platforms or, or anything else like that. But again, I think it is the future because, you know, the younger generation, they are basically they all have, you know, mobile devices, tablets, and so they know how to use those different platforms. And so with, with doctors, I see, I think they have to kind of gravitate towards that so that they can more be more engaging with patients and connect with them. So I, I definitely agree that social media is kind of here to stay. Yeah, you bring up a good point though. Not everyone is on social media. So while I think it will be of, of growing importance, it's important not to neglect kind of the traditional ways that we engage with patients and other doctors. Going out and, and meeting people and back when we were allowed to shake hands, shaking hands and, and getting to know people face to face. You know, I, I'm very big about communication. So after my, my office hours, every day when I have my office hours, I reach out to all the doctors who send me patients or who I sent a patient to. I give them a call or some means of communication to say, hey, I saw your patient. Here's what I think. Let me know if you have any problems. And, and that's an important way to, one, reinforce those kind of non-social media relationships you have and two, just engender good care. It's important that we're all communicating to, to keep our patients feeling good. Definitely. If you were to do a, um, a podcast, what would your podcast be about? I actually have been, have toyed around with two separate ideas and, and one would be a patient-centered podcast or video podcast, video cast, you know, something like that, that would provide 
spine related information in a conversational way, basically from experts. The, the problem with a lot of the information you find online is it's not really vetted and it's of questionable accuracy, right? The, so, 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 Google, so Google MD is not a good resource? <laughs> Never Google your <laughs> symptoms. You will find out that you have cancer 100%. <laughs> <laughs> That's one. And the other was uh, I had an idea that I've played around with of having a more physician-centered one where we talk about the latest research and the latest data. You know, these are two sides of kind of my psyche. You know, I like to talk to patients and engage with patients, but then I also like to talk shop and figure out how we can advance the field. And I, I think those are two separate things and, and projects that I anticipate probably working on in the future. If only there was like 48 hours in a day, I could get all this stuff done. I think virtual will help with that. Less travel yeah. time and so we can do it's stuff true. virtual. Yeah, it's true. You know, interestingly, there are some downsides, things to be careful about in social media. Healthcare is a very regulated field, and especially with regard to privacy, patient privacy. And so you have to be really careful about protecting patients' privacy, never posting anything that could identify a patient, unless obviously you have written consent from them to do so. And then responding to comments is something that, that also brings up potential privacy issues. So I'll post something online. Somebody might say, oh, I have this back problem. It goes down my leg. I have stenosis. What should I do? It's really not the place to start providing medical advice, you know, in the comments of my Instagram post. So what I try to do is say, thank you for reaching out. I'd be happy to discuss this further directly. Please feel free to reach out to my office and we can set up a formal visit. And that's a way that you can kind of respect people's privacy and make sure that you're providing good care because it really shouldn't be providing actual medical advice in, in the comments section of, of your social media uh, posts. And, and I agree. And I'll say if something goes wrong and doesn't work, they're going to be like, well, Dr. So-and-so said I should do this. So right. that's not good. Right. But you can't really assess them over. Absolutely. You know, um, yeah. <laughs> From like, you know, my sitting on my couch, seeing what they wrote on my Facebook. <laughs> but it's a good way to, to, to start the conversation. Then you move it on off. You move it offline where you can really assess them. The other thing is, I'm very protective of my, the privacy of my own family. And this is a, a personal thing. So I know that a lot of doctors will post pictures of their family on their professional social media accounts, either their kids or, you know, cute pictures of their kids dressed up as a doctor, which don't get me wrong. I totally enjoy that stuff, but everyone kind of draws the bounds separately. And, and for me, there's, a clear division between my, my personal and my family life and my kind of professional outward facing life. And, you know, my, I have a two and a half year old son and a four month old son and, and they can't really consent to have their pictures on my, on my online business presence. And, and so, and I don't really, to be honest, want that out in the world for anyone to see. So, so personally I do avoid, in pictures of them it's it's almost a shame because they're extremely cute little guys and i don't just say that because i'm biased um so I, I, I guarantee you if i just posted a picture of my kids i'd get like 
a thousand more likes than normal, but you know, each of us draws the line somewhere separately. Well, this is a really good conversation. I really like, you know, the, the, the point of us talking about engaging patients in, in social media. And I know you have a, a busy day ahead of you. So I don't want to take up too much of your time, but again, I really appreciate you joining us yeah. and, yeah. and we, we plan on branching out some more where we're just getting started. You know, we're trying to do a little bit more in, in healthcare. And so I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your insight, Marcus. Yeah, thank you very much, Dr. Demick. It, it was excellent. And, and uh, thanks for your perspective on everything. And like I said, hey, when you ever got free time, come check out the studio. I know time is of, you know, the essence, but whenever you got a moment, you're always welcome, you know, so. Uh, thank you very much. And, no, I, I really, I appreciate you having me on. It's a lot of fun. I think you could probably tell I'm passionate about these topics and, yeah. and really anything healthcare and, and spine related. So I'm glad I get to, got to chat with you guys. Love to see the studio at some point. And, and if you ever have any other topics you'd like me to talk about, I'd be happy to be involved. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And we definitely, I'm pretty sure we will have something like maybe like a group panel discussion coming up in, in the fun. near future. And then in the meantime, keep posting. I, I definitely think you do, you're on to something great. And you know, who knows, maybe, maybe one day we listen to this podcast and you'll be the influencer we're talking about, you know. <laughs> Slowly but steadily. Well, here, I'm going to flip it on you. You've seen my social media stuff. You spend a lot of time on social media. What could I be doing better? I think, I think what you're doing is amazing. I, I, I would just say the consistency of, and, and I think that's a time thing because every platform, like I said, you're more engaged on the Facebook side because right. that's where most, I would say most of your patients are, are can, or can relate. But I would just say, hey, even if you, if, you, if you take a screenshot of the video and just post it on your, your Instagram, maybe on your story and just say, hey, new video on Facebook or, and then gradually people will, people will start following. That's you know, a good point. More, you know, and just when you on your when you're on your Instagram, more use of hashtags, more use of locations, um, anything of those little stickers now, because then it'll, it'll flow into other people's stories. So, mm. but I definitely think you're doing something great. I would say your content is excellent. I mean, the way you create your videos, the connection that you make with your users, are, are you're, you're you're spot on. Thank you, thank you. I try to make original content too. You know, not just like reposting somebody else's art article. You know, really mm -hmm. distill things down and into something that answers a questions that my patients have and, and is something unique. So I, I appreciate it. I'll, I'll, I'll keep it up. Hey, and I would say keep, keep up on LinkedIn. I think what you're doing on LinkedIn is, is excellent too. Cause the way you met, you kind of mesh Instagram and Facebook on your LinkedIn in a professional setting. And I think LinkedIn is going to take off within with not too long, probably within the next couple months. Yeah. So keep your LinkedIn is perfect. Keep, keep that up. Cause then a lot of doctors do not do that. No, no. Well, hopefully they'll listen to their pod, this podcast and they'll get involved. Oh, we'll make sure of it. Me. There are a variety of ways to contact me. I'm on all the various social media platforms. On Facebook and LinkedIn, I'm at Peter Derman, MD. That's P-E-T-E-R, Derman, D as in David, E-R-M-A-N, M-D. Uh, and you can check me out there. On LinkedIn, I think my thing is just my name, Peter B. Derman, MD, MBA. I put my MBA on there because it's a businessy forum. Uh, there, we also have a practice website, which is texasback.com. Uh, and you can find more information about our practice in general and, and some more information about me. And then if you're interested in making an appointment to see me, you can always reach out. My office number is 972-608-5000. I look forward to hearing from you.
Excellent. Thank you very much. And for all the listeners, definitely be sure to connect with Dr. Damon. Go check out his content and make sure you follow. Excellent, excellent doctor. And um, definitely provide some great content. So be sure to check him out. Thank you very all much, right. Dr. Damon. I appreciate it. Thanks, Marcus. I'll talk to you later. Yes, sir. Take care. Dr. Derman dropped some some gems, and one of the things that uh, sticks out for me, and really one of those conversations where we kind of have offline, which is why we started doing what we're doing. But he made a good point when he mentioned that his license is only good here in the state of Texas, mm-hmm. and it's kind of odd. You know, I'm not going to go to another state, and as a physician, as a surgeon, you're not going to treat any patient differently based on on those state requirements. What do you think? No, I agree. I think if I'm getting a, a back surgery in Dallas, it's going to be the same back procedure I'm going to get if I lived in New York. So that that really stuck out to me. And another thing that was interesting that he said, uh, you know, six months ago, pre-COVID, he would never even thought to use telehealth. And then now the utilization of how he thinks he can see it in the future being 50-50, that was a uh, very interesting uh, point for me too. Yeah. And... <clears throat> And talking about, you know, the license, you know, I kind of thought about it is I have a Texas driver's license and I can drive within the other 49 states throughout Mm -hmm. the U.S. So why isn't his medical license the same? Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Your Texas license is good in all the other states, even marriage license, though. Let's say if you want a divorce and good point in California, you got to follow California's rules. And Pennsylvania, they're different as well. So I don't know. It's just whoever created it, I think, you know. But it makes sense, though, because if you're married in one state, why do I have to do something different in another for the divorce? Good point. So if you did get married and you and your wife moved to another state, do you have to get remarried in that state? No, I don't know. Then why, <laughs> if a doctor decided to take his practice to another state, he had to get licensed, you know, in another state. I think medicine is medicine. You're not going to treat anybody differently in different states. So, but that's just my uh, my two cents. Hey, I want to thank Dr. Derman for coming on our program today. Very good topic, good conversation, good takeaways, very insightful. So not just in the clinical uh, setting, but also professionally and building um, my brand, the brand for, for the MetaVest and using different... Uh, social media platforms all the listeners out there make sure you go check out his platforms on social media facebook instagram and even go check out the website for the uh, texas back institute a lot of good spine doctors over there if you're looking for a spine doctor in the dallas area so be sure to do that and thank you and have a good day